Two, one. I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si- silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's going on, everybody? What's going on? This is episode. Oh, I feel like this is episode forty-nine of the Silence the Shame podcast. Um, this is your host. And he calls free the vision. Today I am standing in solo for Shanti Dodds, who is recovering from some surgery. And so we're sending her well wishes and, and prayers and healing. Um, and she is doing well. So that is a that is a good thing. Um, but we are talking today about heading back to school and managing the anxiety of heading back to school in this pandemic world that we are currently in because. COVID is still very real and it's taken on some new shapes and it's taken on some new turns. And so now we are here facing it with a new lens and trying to figure it out as we're navigating it together. And so we have some very special guests. We will be speaking with, um, is, is it Dr. No, it's, it's Laura. It's Laura. Is just Laura. Okay. So yes, Laura. Just Laura. <laughs> Just Laura, I want to be formal and correct, but yes, we'll be Appreciate speaking with Laura um, and, and Robin Wallace here, and we'll be into this and speaking from the angles of being a parent, and also any advice on how we can view this even clinically or um, from a, a more mental health perspective, a better way of how to take this on. And so I'm um, jumping right into it. Um, Laura, if you give us a little bit of a background of yourself and who you are. Sure, sure. So I say that just Laura because I am not a PhD, but I am a master's uh, level therapist and I've been a psychotherapist in private practice for about 20 years now. Um, I've specialized in families and adults, um, couples, um, adolescent, and worked in all sorts of settings from community mental health to residential treatment for drug and alcohol and um, in private practice. So I have a a long history of meeting clients um, in different settings and hearing what are some of the most important concerns to them at that time from crisis level intervention work to outpatient, but um, nothing quite like I've heard since this pandemic started in March of 2020. I will say that as you could imagine, I've had um, probably the busiest year that I've ever had in my professional career. I could imagine that to definitely be true. Um, and we'll dive even into that a little bit of why, and I think that my opinions of why, but I'd like to know specifically. Um, and for you, Robin, and welcome to you both. Robin, if you don't mind giving us some background about yourself and who you are. Sure, sure. Robin Wallace. Um, well, I guess I'm a multitude of things. I'm a business owner. Um, I own a restaurant uh, called Local Green Atlanta. Um, I am a data scientist by trade, so I've spent a career um, as an analyst looking at chronic health data and disease. Um, I've worked with um, a multitude of biotech companies and the CDC. Um, I'm a wife, and uh, most importantly, I'm a mother. So this um, talk today definitely um, speaks to me um, as a mom and a scientist sending my children back to school and working, um, still working and consulting with the CDC. It's been very challenging um, sending them back. So I'm excited to 
to be with everybody today and to, to talk and learn. Beautiful. Well, let's jump right into it. And I'm glad that you said, number one, you're a mother. How do you feel from the angle of being a mother and um, also experiencing it from the perspective of a scientist, like you said, and working with the CDC, knowing that we are literally figuring this out on the go. We're like, you know, on the training or in crisis training. Um, how do you feel or what would you say to those who are anxious about sending their kids back into a school for a, a regular schooling format while we're still on the brink of what seems to be potentially a shutdown or not a shutdown and not knowing what the next steps are. How do you address that as a mother first and then also based on the science that you have seen in your consultations with the CDC? That's an interesting question because over the summer, so I have two children. I have um, two boys. Um, my oldest is 13. Um, this is his first year in high school and my youngest is in the fourth grade, so soon in elementary school. So my oldest was actually eligible for the vaccine. Um, but even being a scientist, and I, again, I believe in vaccines, you know, I believe in science, I believe in building a herd community, but as a mom, I was very apprehensive to, number one, get him a vaccine, and then two, to really send him back to school. Um, last year, it was, it was scary. It, it was scary. At the end of the year, my, my children went back um, to school. I made the decision that they needed to go in person. But every day it was filled with anxiety. It was filled with making sure they knew to wash their hands, making sure that they were wearing a mask, that they were doing all the things to keep themselves safe. And the anxiety, not only with them being there, but the anxiety with me making the right decision, you know, as a parent that I've put my child in, a, in an environment where they could essentially um, be uh, subject, subjected to this virus that we don't know a lot about. And so this year, you know, it's been more of a, last year taught us a lot. Um, this year, I, you know, I decided that I'm gonna have to just um, step out on faith. And um, I know at, ultimately for my youngest, it's better for him to be there at school. Um, I think for him emotionally, I had to think about his emotional being first. And he's the kind of kid that relies on other people. He needs that other energy. Um, my oldest, not so much. You know, he's, he could do well in virtual. He could do well at, at, um, at home. But really, for my peace of mind and all that I had going on, I thought, you know, him being able to be around friends, there were a lot of things that he did not get last year when he was home virtually. You know, he missed out on a lot of that engagement. And I noticed for him, he started to become very much of an introvert. Um, so for me, I had to kind of think about their, the likelihood of what I know scientifically, the likelihood of them getting really, really sick versus the impact of their mental health, you know, um, and I, and thinking about what I thought that they needed so that they could be um, whole, healthy, mentally healthy children, which in turn helps me. You know, because if they're, you know, at the end of the day, if they're upset and they're hurting and they're anxious and they're not, you know, getting that friend group and they feel ostracized, then it affects me. So um, that's been my approach. I respect that. I respect that very much. Laura, would you be able to, your view, maybe even clinically, of how to address anxiety amongst the children as well as the parents? 
sure. trying to figure out and standing on that line and what you've seen as well in your practice. Yeah, so I think what's been really interesting during this entire experience is that children and adolescents and parents needed to have a name for what was actually happening um, within and without. And so a lot of times as adults, we struggle, we may struggle with trying to identify um, the powerful emotions that are coming on. Is this depression? Is this anxiety? Is this um, stress? What's what's going on? And so if you can imagine as adults um, having to deal with their own mental health and naming it, then you can also imagine how difficult it was for kids to even um, be able to comprehend what was happening to them and not just them, but also to their parents. Um, you know, Robin makes a really good point. You know, kids are very intuitive. So if they don't have the words to understand exactly what's going on with themselves, they can pick up and start to feel what's going on around them. And of course, they're looking to their, their families and the adults in their lives for some type of um, guidance, uh, some type of understanding um, and following the lead. And so it's very natural as a parent to feel the anxiety. If I choose this, is this going to be a benefit? If I choose that, is this going to be a detriment? How do I know um, what to do? And so in that indecision or um, that process, kids are picking up on that themselves, and then they're going through their own um, kind of emotional needs. And so one of the best things I've seen was just helping kids learn to say, it is okay to understand that you might be afraid. It is okay to understand that you might have um, sadness right now or depression or anger, but it comes out in different ways for everyone. So boys, I have a son who is now 19 and my daughter is 21, but she was a sophomore in college um, when she had to leave Spelman and my son was just finished starting his senior year or, fin you know, getting into his senior year of high school. So there was a lot of loss and how they both dealt with that was completely opposite, right? So I have a daughter, she's verbal, she could express herself, but she also felt very numb and could withdraw um, in her own safe, creative way. My son wanted to game a lot, but he also was very angry and very brooding and didn't want to engage with the, the family as much as um, he had before. And so as a mom trying to navigate what does he need versus what does she need versus what do I need to be making sense of all of this myself and also trying to support him. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but I, you can see just based on what I'm saying, maybe what Robin's saying, that it's not one easy, one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with anxiety and depression with your children um, and helping them manage their mental health needs. Absolutely. You, you, you spoke to a very interesting point that I do want to How do we develop the language around this? I've been trying to figure out the language itself. How would you suggest, or either of you that you have found to, to communicate with the children who might not understand, who are maybe a little bit frustrated, who are tired of wearing masks or just who just don't get maybe even the scenario. Um, how do you communicate this to them in a way is before that and and as a family, is it something that you know should be inclusive of therapy at this point? Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start off on that one. So I think you have to look at the age range of the kids that you have, right? So if you have little ones, little children probably have adapted easier than the older ones because they don't know, maybe they didn't know much 
different, right? So they're like, well, I guess we have to put a mask on. I've, I've watched little kids going to school or even in my own neighborhood just seem to have a lot better way of dealing with this versus some of the older ones who knew school was supposed to look and be different, right? And so, and then you get into high school and college age where kids are wanting to be their own independent person, they don't necessarily want to hear their mom say, you got to put on a mask or I need you to get this vaccine when they're 17, 18, 19 years old and ready to do and be their own best selves, right? So um, one thing that was helpful for families is just to try to sit down how can we talk about this? Like, hey, how do you feel about what's happening? What is your understanding? Is there a way I can communicate to you about what is going on with COVID and this vaccine and in a way that makes sense to you, right? Because we can, adults can overtalk anything. Information is everywhere. So again, I have a 19-year-old son. My, both of my kids were vaccinated. My daughter, she couldn't wait to get it. My son, not so much. Why? how he looks and views at social media and who he was listening to, right? So if he's following social media favorites or certain um, celebrities or whatever, and so-and-so said you could turn into a magnet, I'm like, now come on, right? Let's, 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 let's talk about this in a different way. <laughs> but, I, but I couldn't compete with some of them. So I had to say, all right, well, tell me what your fear is. What is your biggest concern? Now, let me help you learn more information and do it in a way that wasn't shaming him right now of course in my mind I'm like come on please but it you know what can I do to help him understand so that he can make an informed decision right if they're younger it's a different story but if I had kids that were younger I would be afraid like I don't know about this vaccine what if this is going to have long-term effects on them like these were real conversations and I'm sure Robin can really speak to that um, because our kids are younger so just trying to communicate knowledge in a way that makes sense to them without it being too complicated was helpful no that's that's so great you say that I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about my children and thinking about my oldest that he was asking me for the vaccine because to your point He's tapped into his friends, it's social media, it's more It's more what his circle is doing, right? So he's like, mom, you know, hey, what's up with this vaccine? My friends, you know, he's also a kid that if I gave him a checkbook and told him to balance my checkbook and pay bills, he would also do that at 13 years old. Like he's kind of like a grown person in a 13 year old body. But he, you know, was asking me like, okay, you know, I'm going back to school. He's considering all these things, right? You know, like, Around these people, blah, blah, blah. When am I going to get a vaccine? My friends are getting vaccines. It's logical for me to do this, which helped me it ease my anxiety to allow him to get the vaccine because it's what he wanted. My youngest, he's not eligible for the vaccine. He's nine. But what's interesting is that the way he questioned what's going on is very differently. He, so he is in a school district where it is my, um, the majority um, population are Caucasian. And he came home this week, day two, day three of school and said, mom, but most of the Caucasian kids aren't wearing masks. And I said, really? I said, well, what about the kids that look like you? And he said, well, they're all wearing masks. And I said, well, what about the Indian kids? So I kind of went through, you know, the different um, ethnic groups at school. And he said, well, they're wearing masks. He said, you know, the brown kids wear masks and the other kids don't. And so I feel okay wearing a mask because my friends, people who look like me. So in his mind, he starts to, at nine years old, 
orient his his it's okay for him you know he rationalized you know that it's okay for me to do this because my peer group or my friends who look like me are doing this and that's just what they're doing over there so for him it just was interesting so i kind of told him well you know it's about beliefs it's not really it's not really um marginalized to you know a certain ethnic group or a certain race group it's just really belief system and here at home this is what we believe and this is why i want you to wear a mask and so he's okay with that but it helped him to see other kids who look like him wearing a mask because for him he now has some sort of association with well this is what we do like we go to church like we do this oh this is what we do and i just found that interesting that he was able to pick up on that really subtle um observation you know just going to school as a, in fourth grade and being able to come home and ask questions about why does this group of people do this versus this other group and so that brings me to an interesting thing that was mentioned as well because yes there's the in now of your group and i think that's with anything right you know that kids just when you are influenced they move through the influence and it becomes a lot more comfortable um but when you have a child who maybe let's say right at the eligible mark but they are not comfortable. They are fearful to get the vaccination. Um, and the parents are on the fence. The parents want them safe. The parents are unsure. How do you either, if at all, would suggest, like, is that something that you kind of mandate then for your child? Is it something that you explain the, um, not only the precautions and how to handle it, but also the potential consequences. How do you end up operating in a space where you are combating fear and your own anxiety of the potentials of the future, as well as your parental instinct of wanting to keep your child safe? Well, I would say this. Um, my husband was very much anti-vaccine. So we live in a house where I'm very much for a vaccine. I work for the CDC. I get a flu shot. You know, I'm boom, boom, boom. My husband is very much, let's have some elderberry. Let's drink some, you know, sea moss. And it's going to be all good. And so I didn't want to just take my oldest and just give him a vaccine, even though, you know, I was apprehensive about it. But I really also wanted to be sensitive to my husband's, you know, his concerns, right? But um, Again, now for us, of course, it's a different situation because my son wanted to do it. However, for parents, I would say when we're thinking about the vaccine, it's, it's something that seems very new. Um, however, you know, you vaccinate your children to go to school. Um, so there's always some unknown in what when people say, oh, you know, I don't know, I'm putting this stuff in my kid's body. You know, there's always an unknown whenever you're giving someone something to your children when you don't know exactly what's in it right but the reality is it adds a level of protection that otherwise you wouldn't have you know and so um, I have a lot of friends that I'm having that same conversation with and unfortunately a lot of them are learning the hard way I, I have friends who have, are now hospitalized because of COVID they themselves didn't get the vaccine and you know I'm anti-choice. Do whatever it is that you feel like is best for you. But if you're on the fence and you're definitely trying to consider what's best for your child, um, I think you have to look at vaccines holistically, right? And understand that it's something that you've been giving to your, your children, you know, all along the way. If they're in public school, it's something you've been doing. 
And COVID is not new. This, this strain of COVID is new. However, the research behind COVID has been happening for a multitude of years. So um, I think people should, you know, really, but again, it's, it's hard. It even makes me anxious when you're looking at all this material and reading this, and this article says that, you know, I think coming to find that level of um, understanding and really having that level of understanding that vaccines really do help maybe that'll kind of shift a person's, um, I guess, their, their thinking behind if their child should get it or not. Great point, great point. And, and you being um, a consultant of the CDC, how has that um, maneuvered your perspective? How has it helped you with your perspective? What's maybe even science have you, um, seen that has put maybe you at ease in the way that you have made these decisions about re-engage your children into um, a public society from an education standpoint? Well, let me say this. The curve for flu, I mean, usually, you know, when you look at um, what they call flu season or virus season, cold seasons, right? You see a spike of illness. That spike was really minimized last year. And some folks say, oh, well, because folks weren't out. You know, I think masks work. <laughs> I think science shows that basic, I mean, just basic masks and washing your hands, it helps, right? So I think that's one thing that we've learned. That's why for me, my decision to put my children back meant you guys also have to, you, you know, I'm putting hand sanitizers in your bag. I'm putting wipes in your bags. I'm not gonna re rely on the school to do this, right? And you guys also have to wear masks. So um, that's one thing. The other thing is, and you know, we can go on and on, but early, early in this process, in December of 2019, we would get alerts at work seeing what was happening in China. And you could see it coming more and more frequently. So by January, you knew something's up, you know? So, um, so looking at data to see where the early vaccine started, you know, earlier on. So while we were still kind of getting to this point where we were still kind of formulating vaccines, looking at the countries where the vaccine had been given and seeing how able they how they were able to flatten the curve, you know, flatten the the influx of, of the virus and then open the economy back up. That's what gave me a lot of assurance. Um, but again, that's because I'm looking at the data and I'm looking at analysis. And so um, and I know that that's not something that, you know, the average person just readily does. So let me ask this too, and I'm coming kind of closer to our close, but I am curious now to move into the responsibility of the school and the school system. Is there a sense of responsibility or while integrating your children back, are they providing PPE, um, you know, options? Are they giving hand sanitizer? Are they giving wipes? Are they a lot more precautious and proactive? Have you guys seen that? And is there any form of that that you feel like would help? Also, do you feel as if there are community conversations amongst the schools that it would also move the um, needle in the anxiety that it probably has upon the families? Um, what, what I would like to say to that is, um, I raised both my kids in public school system. So we're in a suburb outside of Atlanta, it's DeKalb County. So I consider it still ATO. Um, and I still get the emails just to kind of see, I do know that these schools got 
lots and lots and lots of money, lots of money uh, because of the CARES Act to, to do better, to improve the quality of the school, the air quality, to make sure that resources are in place, whether it's PPE, whether it is um, counseling resources, um, other things that children and families can, can access um, regarding COVID. And that could be recovery of learning that was lost. That could be uh, families that needed food. Like I know that our high school, they're not even charging for lunch right now. So everybody can get a free lunch, no matter what your status is. So there are resources that are available. And I really encourage parents to ask, 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 ask. You can not, you don't have to be the president of a PTA. I certainly did all of that. I was a president of all the schools um, that my kids were involved in because I had the time. Not all families have the time to do it. But what I want to say is that there are people that want to do that kind of work. And those parent advocate groups will give you information. The school should give you information and you should be able to get additional support. Okay. So please don't be afraid to ask if your child is behind in learning um, because of everything that happened in the prior year, how are they going to help your child keep up? What do you need to do to make sure that your child is not left behind further? And what other um, resources are available, whether it's hand sanitizers or masks, what is available? And even with some of these schools in different areas that might not be so pro-mask or pro-vaccine, they still got money to provide safety for these students. And so I would feel empowered as a parent to say, my child needs this. How can you provide that? Start with your school first because they have they have resources. Great answer. And so this is for Robin, and this is going to be one of my final questions. And, and I'm also, I'll pass it to you um, after Laura. And this is kind of how we want to close. But Robin, your perspective of also having looked at the data, is there anything specific that you feel is misconception? that you would address the parents who are experiencing anxiety and families are experiencing anxiety around COVID and its variants and all of the new news that we are getting about it. Do you feel, or even about the vaccines themselves, that from a statistical standpoint that you would share a large misconception that maybe you've heard that you think could also assist in putting other parents at ease or maybe that put you at ease that you have amongst you and your friends when you're speaking to other parents and peers? Um, well, first, I think folks need to know that viruses are smart. You know, I'm not a, a virus expert. You know, I'm not in, in, uh, in immunology. You know, I, I'm not, that's not my, my area of expertise. Mine is chronic health. But I do know that viruses are smart and that they're going to keep mutating. And you're going to get the Delta and you're going to get this and you're going to keep getting these different variants because they figure out how to um, get stronger so that they can um, cause more havoc. And so um, I believe that the vaccine, um, you know, I understand, you know, it's new. It's definitely, people think, oh, COVID is new. It's the first time they, they've heard about it. But COVID, the virus, you know, there's different strains of it. But COVID has been around for a long time. It's been researched for years and years and years and years. So scientists know a little bit more about it than people think. Um, and so I think that just when, you know, if you think about the history of viral outbreaks or outbreaks in this country, 
if you, you know, I remember when my parents, my mom and my dad were young, they had to get tetanus shots and they had to get boosters. And I remember my parents, I don't know if your parents had that little circle, that little thing on their arm. And I said, what is, what is that thing? Oh, well, that's for a booster. You know, you get a booster shot. Well, now you don't have to get a booster shot. You get a tetanus shot, bam, you know, you don't get it boosted when you go to, well, at least I don't know. I don't think so. You don't get it boosted multiple times like you did, you know, when they were growing up. Science evolves, right? And so you have to trust that this is not a new world order. You know, I know that a lot of people think that this is a way to eliminate Black people. You know, I, I think we just have to, you know, get out of the weeds and kind of look at it from a different perspective and realize that, hey, you know, we've been taking vaccines <laughs> all of our lives, you know? And so if you have, if now some folks feel like they're anti-vaccines, that's a totally different scenario. You know, th there's some people who really believe in, I don't want to vaccinate my children, that's their choice. But if you have vaccinated your children year after year in order to, for them to go to school, this is nothing different. It's, it's you know, this vaccine works in the same way that other vaccines do, which is to protect the cells from that agent being able to come in. So really, you have to, you know, um, trust, trust science, trust science. So that that would be my only, um, I guess those would be my last words. And Laura, any from you that you feel that um, would also help ease the minds of um, maybe even some of the parents that you have come across in this time frame. Sure. I think I would just caution parents or uh, not in caution, but really encourage parents to, to, to find their patients that, you know, like Robin said, there's always new information and it is frustrating when you're like, well, today they say this and tomorrow they said this, the school told us one thing and now it's changing, but, um, we can only control so much. So what is the most important thing is to try to keep your family as happy and healthy and safe as possible. How do we do that? We, we sit down and we have conversations about how are you doing? What do you need? Um, do you just need some reassurance? Do we need professional help? If so, how can we go about getting it? Like I said, you can go to the school and you can ask for resources. If you have healthcare insurance and you need to tap into your pediatrician or primary care doctor, ask if you need to seek out additional therapy because a lot of these younger children especially are having separation anxiety now. And anxiety can go through the spectrum. So you might have generalized anxiety to full-blown OCD. And so if that happens and it becomes more chronically um um, prevalent, and it can create really significant um, barriers to quality of life down the way. So try not to let um, a situation get into a crisis mode before you address it. We don't have to always put things off until we can't tolerate it anymore. And I think if I've learned anything um, being a mental health professional during this time, and especially with people of color, we, we really do bear a lot. And we don't have to bear as much um, before we ask for help and support. There's no shame in it. Um, that's why I love Shanti's whole platform and program because she's out there saying, we're going to silence this. What do we need? How can we be supportive of each other? Let's not be afraid to ask. Um, Google can be a tool and sometimes it can be a dangerous one, but hopefully you know, people will find ways to get the important information that, that they need. I, I love what Robin was saying. Um, she's really straightforward with it. Get educated and find reputable sources to get your information. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I thank both of you for 
take the time and come and share this platform with us to discuss this because it's a very real and evolving thing. Um, I do want to give you both the time to plug and let you, you know, let the audience know how they can keep in touch with you or keep up with you. Or I'm a fan of local green robin, so you know, plug and give love to that as well. But um, yes, please let them know how they can keep in touch. Oh, you can definitely follow us on localgreenatlanta.com on Instagram. And um, that's about it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. I'm showing my age, but I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get into these social streets. But uh, I don't really have handles right now. I mean, I, I'm Laura Morse and I am a psychotherapist. If you Google my name and you ever needed any questions um, answered around how can I um, seek out mental health services, I love to educate people about that process. I never want um, people to feel like they can't even get through the first step of, I don't know how to ask for this. I don't even know the difference between a therapist or a psychiatrist or psychologist. So it, it brings me a lot of, of joy, honestly, to be able to share um, mental health things. So I can be Googled. I have a website. I'm working on making that better, but I certainly always have an email and a phone number. So thank you so much. Yes. And please share your website if you do, so that they can at least use you up there and for some of your resources. Yeah, sure. And resources to share. Okay. Um, I am at www.lauramorse.com. So pretty simple. L-A-U-R-A-M-O-R-S-E. Okay. And I forgot to mention we are we do have a website localgreenatlanta.com but I you know I really appreciate um, Laura's um, what you do I mean it's so um, invaluable to be able to offer that service um, to the community um, again local green is a restaurant so you won't find a lot about COVID there but you will find a lot about healthy food healthy eating that would really help um, folks you know during this time as they're trying to transition and just get a healthier mental and physical space. So yes, healthy living. Right. Yes, all the way a whole whole person. <laughs> oh, Rob and I can't yes. wait to check that out. Because I'm <laughs> about that nutrition right about now. I tell all oh, my yeah. clients like it's not just about the mind, it's a body, the soul, the spirit, all of it. It's holistic. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well I am free division and you can find me at free division any and everywhere. Um you can also free the vision, you know, I'm at free the vision.com. Uh, I want to ensure like to also let the audience know to make sure to follow us, comment, rate, and subscribe on our podcast. Let us know different things you want to hear as well as what you think of this episode. Um, you can follow us at silence the shame on Instagram and at silence the shame on Twitter and Facebook. And although Shanti is not with us, we are still sending her our wishes of good health and her recovery. Um, and this has been a really good episode. I want to thank both of you ladies again for your time and for being so transparent about what you guys have experienced and, and just as mothers and then mothers, number one, from a human standpoint, and then two in your professions and how those things have helped guide you. So we appreciate you and your expertise and your time. And so please, again, follow us, subscribe to this and share this information because very important and so i do want to end as we always do to take time save a life and silence the shame